Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't have a job to find. And if I work tonight, I'm so tired tonight, I'll fall asleep when I'm home, when I'm Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Power Slam podcast here, wherever you get your podcasts, or as always, Patreon a day early. My name is Kenny and I'm joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin and Finn. The the weather's starting to get nicer, it's not as cold as it was a month ago, so spring seems to be on the way. Well, well, it does, it, it does indeed, yeah, although I'd say that, Kenny, I'm here with my grandma blanket over my legs. <laughs> Got my little fingerless gloves on. I got them from a climbing shop in October. One of the best buys of of like the last year in my life. Fingerless gloves. That's what, that's the yeah. rock and roll excitement that awaits me. Well, exactly. So I got these, but they're great. You know, if you can do me typing with them and everything, my hands don't get cold. So uh, yeah, that's 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 I lead an exciting life, everyone. <laughs> don't I? <laughs> You're a simple man, Kenny. Never a simple man, that's what I am. I don't need expensive things to keep me happy. Spoken like a true no- northernman. Uh, true northerner. So, listen, I'm a child of the 60s, Kenny. I grew up in the 70s. We're tough, we're resilient. You know, yeah, you I grew do. up in the 80s as well. Things were tough then. People think things are bad now. Oh, I know, got it good now. No, you're born. <laughs> Well, I'm going to move on before you make any more terminology that makes you seem 79 years old. 
Um, I just say that no, that is actually a joke because that's what people used to say to me when I was a kid. By the way, you so. don't know where you were born. <laughs> um, but um, well, listen, we, let, let's start off with the, the sad news, um, which is that Jerry Jarrett passed away this week. Um, legendary promoter, obviously promoter of the Memphis Territory, went on to be the, one of the co-founders of NWA TNA. Uh, father of Jeff Jarrett. So uh, yeah, Jerry passed away this week. Pretty sad, but um. You know, he got a lot of, you know, he was he was tributed. There was tributes to him from everywhere. Impact, WWE, AEW. So that's kind of a test of somebody's, uh, you know, footprint, right? That they are yeah. celebrated by everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he was a you know huge deal in the business. He uh, started off as a referee, then he became a wrestler. Um, you know, continued wrestling uh, long after he became a promoter. He became a promoter in the uh, in the early seventies with uh, the uh, uh, notorious Nick Goulas in Tennessee, um, and Jerry ran like the Memphis end of the territory, and Goulas ran the Nash Nashville Chattanooga end of the territory and um, they ended up having a big split in 1977 over the even more notorious George Goulas who uh, Nick was pushing wanted Jerry to push Jerry said no I'm not pushing George because he's a lousy performer that led to a huge bust up between Jerry and Nick Nick basically cut uh, Jerry out of the territory Uh, he was told he could have sued but it would have just taken years and he might not have won so he resigned and set up his own territory in memphis with jerry lawler as his top star lawler went with jerry jarrett and other people went with jerry as well they got tv um and they set up and they were hugely successful and uh they basically ran uh nick Gulas out of business and uh became you know, the the promoters in the Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee area and the Tennessee uh, wrestling, where it's known as the Mid-Southern Territory. So, but he was famous for his, for his um, uh, you know, doing gimmick matches and fast-paced um, feuds. And it had been a tag team territory under um, Jackie Fargo in the early 70s. And then when Lola became the top star, it became more of a sort of, one-on-one Lawler was the, the top man there and very successful territory between like the late 70s and the early 80s um and you know Jerry Jarrett was a pioneer no doubt about it I mean, he was he was famous for his um music videos um uh, which was something it seems extraordinary now that this was a novel concept in the early 80s but it was we like the fabulous ones and the famous one with Kamala Obviously, the Hulk Hogan one. I remember sharing that one on my Facebook um, page a while ago. Uh, do you remember that? You remember that one, don't you? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I also wanted to see because just when you said that, it jogged my memory. Michael Hayes actually tweeted out about Jerry Jarrett and said uh, the loss of Jerry Jarrett is something that should be revered. Jerry beat all the odds and became the guy. Jerry allowed us to play the Freebird song. Unbelievably, he's the man. Cat be followed. And it, I, I guess it's one of those things because WWE is kind of the the, the legacy place now because they've got everything that yeah. they kind of get attributed by younger people I guess to all the stuff that we have now whereas people like Jerry Jarrett who were doing this kind of new stuff at the time um, yeah. maybe don't get enough credit for it absolutely I mean it was the wild angles I mean the, the famous concession stand brawls um, you know this was like 1970 this was like ECW 
you know, before ECW and ECW, I remember in, you know, ECW was its peak between like 94, 96, long time fans and writers would say to me, well, this is like Memphis used to be like 12, 13 years ago. I mean, it's fast paced angles, you know, just wild brawls. It's just things just kicking off left and right. It's real sort of um, air of spontaneity about it. The Saturday morning TV show, when you watched it, you couldn't quite believe what was happening because it, it seemed like anything could happen and often did. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he was he was absolutely a pioneer, a guy who really pushed the industry forward. Um, they had uh, entered into a talent trading agreement with Bill Watts' Mid-South territory. I think that was 84. And um, they were struggling at a point was um, was Watts and um and I think, I can't remember if it was Jarrett or Bill Dundee said to him, um, you know, Bill, where's, you know, where where are you? You don't have enough young performers, like Rock and Roll Express type performers that are going to attract younger people to your shows. Mm-hmm. And um, Bill Watts was all about pushing like big guys, you know, ex-football players, you know, your Hacksaw Duggans and your Steve Dr. Death Williams and that type. And uh, Jerry Jarrett's like, well, hold on a second. And Bill Dundee, like, hold on a second. You know, we need you know, some younger performers here that are going to appeal to younger people and you'll draw a different audience um, and a, a more importantly, a larger audience um, that will be very vocal and it will make your show seem really hot. And that's what happened. So Bill Watts was, you know, he respected Jarrett and Bill Dundee enough to actually comply with their suggestion and accept that this, you know, he was, you know, Watts was known for being headstrong, but he recognised that these people you know, had a point and it was worth a try and he did it and it was very successful. Um, and then in later years, Jerry Jarrett um, struck the deal with um, WWF 92, uh, which started with a like a famous angle with Jeff Jarrett. And I think it was Jerry Lawler as well were at ringside during a WWF show in, I think it was Memphis. And I think Jeff, it was Jeff who issued a challenge to Bret Hart, who was then Intercontinental cha- Intercontinental Champion, to a match. Uh, I think this was just before SummerSlam 92, and Bret lost the belt to David Boy Smith at SummerSlam 92, so the match didn't happen. But it was just getting the ball rolling on the WWF, USWA, as it was known then, the Memphis Territory, uh, getting the ball rolling on their talent trading agreement, because by the early 90s, the territories, you know... The, I mean, Memphis was really last territory standing. It was Memphis and Portland. They were about the only territories left in the in the early 90s. Um, but they were really struggling. So they entered into this deal with Vince, which resulted in Jerry Lawler, of course, becoming part of the WWF commentary team and then part of the WWF roster. You know, Lawler had the feud of the year in 1993 with Bret Hart. So, I mean, he did very well in WWF. Lots of people thought he wouldn't. Um, should mention, of course, Lola was Jerry Jarrett's co-owner in the Memphis Territory that they launched in 77. So Lola and Jarrett were, you know, business partners for many years. And, um, you know, Lola was huge part of WWF um, for, 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 well, decades after that, wasn't it, Kenny? Mm-hmm. No? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, the thing that always strikes me that's fascinating about, you know, because they're doing the whole talent agreement and all that and, and with USWA, and then when Vince is going to potentially go down for the steroid trial, Jerry Jarrett was the one who was going to... I mean, in reality, it was probably going to be Jerry Jarrett would be the one on the, the prison phone to Vince every day, sort of, <laughs> you know, 
doing what Vince's orders would be. But um, but yeah, it's wild to think that if Vince had, if Vince had gone down, even if it was for a year, that Jerry Jarrett was the the choice, and how that would have played out. Yeah, I mean, well, it just again, it's a testament to how well respected Jerry was because he, you know, had a cool head. He'd done lots of different things, some successful, some not. He'd entered into an agreement with the AWA when that was going down in like '88. Um, they, uh, Jerry Jarrett, had ended up buying world class off the Von Ericks, and that ended up being a big mess there. But they took it over because it was losing money, and Jerry turned it around. It was making money again, and then to, together they ran the um, Superclash pay per view in December of '88, which was a massive bomb, but did give us an amazing uh, match between Jerry Lawler and Kerry Von Erick. Just an incredible match that. Um, so he did lots of different things and he, you know, worked on deals and he knew how to talk to people and he knew how to run a business as well. Fortunately, in the USWA, that resulted in people being paid very poorly, uh, which was the only way that the USWA could make a profit in the early 1990s. So lots of people who worked for USWA you know, left there with very, you know, bad memories. It was a very bad experience for lots of people who went there in terms of finances, but was also a really good learning experience because they'd be wrestling six days a week. They do live TV on Saturday morning. And it was just like the best wrestling experience you could possibly have, working the territories, you know, working, working the, not the territory, working the territory, their schedule each week. Um, and learning how to perform for an audience and working out in front of a you know same fans week in week out, you know what what would succeed and what wouldn't, and the whole sort of thing of of having to vary your matches because as we know now in w, in a lot of promotions, if you go to a house show, they'll do exactly the same match uh, in one town that they'll do in the town the next night. And, you know, I remember the first time I actually found out about that. And it, well, it would have been in the early 90s. I remember witnessing actually that on the um, WCW's Real Event Tour in 1993. And it was a Cactus Jack match. I think it could have been against Vader. And um, I saw them in Birmingham in Manchester. And they did essentially the same match two nights running. And I was like, wow. And I'd heard about this, but I'd never actually seen it happen. And this is what happens mostly to this day, is that we'll do the same match at the house shows, believing that, you know, the fans that had seen him on the Friday night would not be in attendance on the Saturday night, so it would be an all-new match. And I guess it doesn't really matter now in 2023, but back in the KFAV era, it did. Because if you're doing exactly the same match in front of the same audience two nights running, it kind of exposes the business, doesn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah, he, he didn't, you know, oh, wow, he didn't see that coming. Well, why didn't he see that move coming? He did that exact same spot last night. So, uh, but that was the whole, you know, territories that you'd be there and you'd, you'd learn how to work and you'd learn how to do things differently and be spontaneous and ad lib and just the old style of putting matches together based upon an audience's responses. You know, that's how it was done, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but yeah, he did all sorts, did, did Jerry Jarrett and... I mean, he did basically everything in the business, let's be honest. And um, a guy held in high regard. Obviously, he was part of NWA TNA, which launched in June 2002. And that ended up being a massive flop. 
Um, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't understand right when the idea for this went public and people were talking about it. And I remember I remember writing about this in Power Slam and speaking to people about this. And people were sort of desperate for an alternative because WCW had been bought out by WWF the previous year and they'd done the invasion saga and then WWF had won that and WCW basically went to its grave. So people were desperate for an alternative wrestling organization. So people wanted NWA TNA to succeed, but this whole concept of the weekly pay-per-view, I think it was nine, it was just under ten dollars per week. Yeah, nine ninety-nine or nine ninety-five, I think it was. Nine ninety-five. So their theory was, well, you know, we'll give you a two-hour pay-per-view, you know, every week. So in four weeks, you're getting eight hours for like forty dollars. So that's really good value. Which is the same price you would have paid for one WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, essentially. So that was their theory. That was their thought process, their business model going into this, is that we are giving people value for money. But the problem was it was really low budget because they didn't have a big budget. And they didn't have a TV show. So how were they going to reach an audience to let them know that this company existed and these pay-per-views existed? Internet was around in 2002, but people still had dial-up. There was no social media. So how were you supposed I mean, websites existed, but it was just a different time. Um, so, I mean, I never th- I never thought it was going to succeed. I couldn't see how it would. And I remember Vince McMahon was quizzed about it before it launched. And he, I mean, he had no axe to grind with Jerry Jarrett. He did at the time, I think, with Jeff, but not <laughs> with Jerry. Um, and I think he he probably wanted it to succeed on some level, but he couldn't, you know, because it would have been competition and he knew it was good for business and he knew it was never really going to be a threat to him. So, but he couldn't work out how this business model um, could possibly prosper, was going to make money. And and he didn't. And and it was a strange one, really. Like well, it's Jerry- funny I was, yeah, I was earlier earlier this morning. I was listening to to Dave Meltzer do like a kind of obituary on his radio show about about Jerry Jarrett, and he actually brought up a conversation he had with Jerry Jarrett. I thought it's worth bringing up here, and he he kind of was saying as well, you know, how did Jerry not know that this was not going to work? Because obviously, it's quite obvious, like to people like you, Finn, who were covering wrestling, that this is not going to work. Um, and it was years later, I think in like 2019, 2018 or something, where Dave said that he asked Jerry Jarrett, why did you do it? Like, wh- Surely you knew it wasn't going to work. And Jerry Jarrett's answer was, when you're older and your son is older, you'll understand why you do certain things. And his answer was basically he did it for Jeff. Because right. he... Because Jeff, because we, I guess the, the important point to that is that Jeff, because he walked out in 99, that Vince was not bringing Jeff Jarrett back at all. And he even yeah. made the joke about him on the... Did you not make a joke about in the simulcast? Am I making that up? Yeah, yeah, he did do, yeah. That's so, so I, I guess, I mean, but then at the same time, even if he's saying, well, I'm doing it for my son, surely Jerry Jarrett could have said, okay, well, let's do it, but let's not do it this way. Because, yeah. Because they were, they were very lucky to actually end up getting picked up for the, was it the Fox Net show first? Before yeah, that Spike. was 2004. They were about two years in by that point. Because they wouldn't have been able to sustain that weekly pay-per-view thing. Well, they were, they were very lucky that they were working with Dixie Carter. You know, Dixie, of course, says many times, gets a lot of flack and much of it, you know, is justifiable. 
But it was her family's money, Panda Energy, that saved the day. I mean, TNA, NWA, TNA would have been sunk by September 2002, less than like three months in because he ran out of money. You know, Jerry and Jeff put a lot of their own money in. They managed to get some sponsorship money as well. Uh, but that they just burned through it because it just didn't make money because not enough people were ordering the shows each week. And it was, you know, the, the setup costs and even on a low budget promotion, which NWA TNA clearly was, you know, even on a low budget promotion, it's expensive to do a live pay-per-view every week. It's just, you know, the cost of the satellite time and all the everything. It's just really pricey. Um, so they just burned through. I don't know how much money, but it was a lot of money. It was well over a million dollars. I think it was more like a few million. Um, and yeah, they were, they were finished. The company had had it. Had Dixie not come convinced her parents to invest heavily in NWA TNA, which they did because they had very deep pockets and uh, it just kept going. I don't think it was making, I don't think it actually made money until well into the spike years. But yeah, it was Fox Sport Net was uh, June or July of 2004. They got the TV deal, but I believe yeah, they actually had to pay for the TV time and the TV show went out in the afternoon. I mean, it was an upgrade, you know, and they were, they proved that they could do TV weekly. Um, the TV spike obviously liked the look of the show because it was by doing the Fox Sport Net show that they proved that they could do TV and run a regular schedule and they were dependable. And we're not going to do too many things that were going to embarrass, potentially embarrass Spike. <laughs> and uh, that was why Spike gave them the deal. And that was the turning point, which was, I think it was September 2005 the deal was done because they got the old WWE late night slot, didn't they? Because they went back to USA. Yes, they went back to USA. That's right. So there was a slot there. Um, Did it start off on Saturday night? I think it did, didn't it? Yes. It was Saturday, Saturday, then Friday, then Thursday. They worked their way to the Thursday that became their go-to. That's it. It started off as a one-hour show, but I mean, it did well. Very first week, uh, the Spike TV show, um, TNA's Spike TV show, did really well that very first week. And you know, they they had the money then to bring in like Gail Kim and Team 3D with the Dudley Boys, and they brought in other talent. Um, and at that point, it felt like the company, and and also TNA had a really good year in two thousand five, putting on some amazing pay per views. So three years in, it really felt like they worked out what the formula should look like um and the company was yeah it, it had a, a had a loyal audience by that point because it was putting out good product uh, but you're right yeah i mean the whole nwa tna thing, the old pay-per-view thing i mean i asked jeff jarrett about this last year in our interview for the magazine mm-hmm. and jeff was like seemed kind of taken aback <laughs> when i asked him well did you think it was going to succeed and he was like well of course i did are you an idiot? He didn't actually say, are you an idiot? <laughs> that was almost like the tone of the question. It was like, well, why would you ask that question? Of course, we thought it would succeed. We were, If we thought it was going to fail, we would never have done it, which was you know, a fair response. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, was, he, he seemed kind of irritated by that question. <laughs> but, you know, some questions are designed almost to irritate yeah, the interviewee. I can't all be happy. But because Jerry Jarrett ended up leaving TNA or leaving TNA's sort of management in 2005. And that was when he ended yes. up splitting with Jeff. They yeah, they had a big for years. Yeah, they didn't speak for a long time. You're right, yeah. 
But he's got a, he's got a great legacy, and I actually would recommend if anybody has not read it, uh, Jerry Jarrett has a book on sort of starting TNA, um, and it's an interesting book. To it's called the it was it was a really long title. Let me find the title of it. Uh, oh yeah, so the story of the development of NWA TNA, a new concept in pay per view programming, was the book. Um, yeah. And he just kind of goes into his his thoughts. But yeah, Jerry Jarrett, very sad. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, you got. I mean, you know, Jeff Jarrett, what a pro he was on TV last night on Dynamite, and he sort of said that I think Jerry's widow had said Jerry would want you to go to work. Jerry yeah. wants you to keep wrestling. So, yeah. so he did. Um, a couple of notes before we go. Um, uh, so apparently yesterday. There was a big backstage meeting at AEW um, with Thunder Rosa involved. Obviously, there was some uh, controversy about when she left, but you know, accusations that she was sandbagging her opponents and that she wasn't getting on with people. Yeah. So, um, so there ended up being a, a, a talent meeting with the whole women's roster uh, to try and resolve tension from relationships between Thunder Rosa and other members of the locker room. Uh, apparently, Thunder Rosa did. This is a report from Fightful Select. Did make uh, did a lot of making amends for dissension. She was trying to kind of uh, everything was addressed. The sandbagging was addressed. Working stiff was addressed, um, and she and apparently it's kind of a clean slate. Everyone's agreed to try and move on from it. She's you know sort of held her hands up to certain things or, or spoken about them. So um, it seems like when she comes back, uh, there will be a clean slate for her. So. Hopefully she uses that clean slate to to improve her standing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't really know what to say about Thunder Rosa. I mean, she, I mean, she's not very good in the ring. I mean, the company just is clueless when it comes to how to present her. I mean, when it made a champion last year, it just did nothing with her to distinguish her from the rest of the roster. It was as if, right, she's champion now. Yeah, well, that's it. Everyone's going to cheer for her and say she's brilliant. And it didn't work. And it was just, I remember, was it last year when I think it was, there was like a, a, there was like a segment where Jamie Hayter, I think was, I think they announced that Jamie Hayter, instead of being the interim women's champion was now the AEW world women's champion. It was this huge cheer, you know, because there wouldn't be this like unification match between Jamie Hayter and Thunder Rosa. 
And I remember writing about it saying, oh, dear, it looks like Rose is going to have to turn heel when she returns. <laughs> and, like, people were just booing the mere mention of Thunder Rose's name. So it's all right, her saying, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, and I won't do this anymore, and blah, blah, blah. It's like she needs to get out there and connect with the audience, and she needs to start having matches that people get excited by. And she's not proven to me yet that she can do that. So it's up to her, really, and it's up to the the company as well. I think they need to do some video interviews with her. There's things they need to do to basically try and distinguish distinguish her from others. But there we go. They they could be doing that with Jamie Hayter, and they haven't done it with her. I mean, this title range should have been huge for her, and it's just been, you know, really mediocre and an exceptional and pedestrian, hasn't it? It's just Just like... Just matches. I mean, there was that incident, was it last week with the bunny? I mean, that was really frightening, wasn't it, Kenny? Yeah, yeah. Not not great. I mean, because um, the bunny was injured, she then lamps her one. It's like, oh. To me, because to me, the easy story on TV right now is to have, you know, because I actually think the, the, the team of Tony Storm, who is the dullest woman in the world on TV, but Tony Storm and Surya together, I think it's quite interesting. And them as heels against Jamie Hayter, who's a babyface, and Britt Baker, who for the moment is a babyface. Like to me, that's quite intriguing. And then you can kind of have Britt Baker almost be like The Rock, not obviously as big as The Rock, but in terms of you remember when The Rock went babyface in '98 before he ended up, you know, going back heel again. Yeah, you can have Britt Baker be a babyface for a couple of months and do this thing with she's team with Jamie Hayter, and they're really popular, and then have Britt stick the boots in to Jamie Hayter. And then you have the big feud, and you can yeah. build that. But we need to see some story of that. We need to see, and like I do see sometimes people say, "Well, you know, in this match there was a, a subtle reference to this thing that happened ten months ago." As well, it's too subtle. It's, you know, you, need, you don't have subtle references to someone within a match. Have a promo, have a backstage segment, have a something that is further in the story. And then with Thunder Rosie, you know, she should come back and cut some sort of interview where she. I'm not saying a shit promo, bro, but she should come and do some sort of promo and kind of reference things and let that play into to her character so it's more interesting. I know she's doing Spanish commentary right now while she recovers, but... Okay. Anyway, we'll we'll see. But uh, that was the meeting yesterday. I did want to ask you about... Um, so it appears that soon, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks contracts with AEW are up. And I know we've talked about this before, and I'm more want to focus on Omega than the Bucks, but it's an interesting one now because I, I, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that Kenny Omega is 100% going to re-sign with AEW, or do you think that all the stuff from the, the brawl and the press conference and the suspension and the, you know, the, the presentation of him now, could that sway his... Do you think that could sway his decision to potentially explore WWE? Because it seems like if he wanted to, he could go there and get a pretty sweet deal. Do you see that being any more of a possibility than a few months ago? I mean, it just feels to me like Omega's pretty much peaked in AEW, and I think the Young Bucks have as well. I mean, if you look at the quarter-hour breakdowns of their matches, the ratings, the, the matches just don't don't draw viewers, do they? The numbers generally decline when they're wrestling. That's usually the way it works, isn't it, Kenny? yeah. So it does feel like they've done, they've gone as far as they can in AEW. I think that's fair to say. Um, I mean, Omega 
received raves for his match with Will Ospreay, Wrestle Kingdom 17. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether he's interested in returning to New Japan. Um, Probably not on a full-time touring basis because I imagine he's got quite accustomed to and he's really enjoying the uh, much easier schedule in AEW. I mean, to go back on the road and wrestle, you know, like 10 times in two weeks, I think would be a real shock to the system for him now, I imagine. And obviously, he's got a lot of miles on the clock because he's had a very hard career. So I'm not suggesting he should do that if that's not right for him. I'm just, you know, stating that as a fact. that I think that would be very difficult for him to do that. I don't think he would want to do that. But maybe he could become like a big match performer for New Japan. Maybe that should be his destination. Um, And possibly he could just do big matches for a number of Japanese promotions. He's got the name value out there. Um, I don't think um, he would make it in WWE. I don't think, I mean, you could say what WWE would sign him. I imagine he probably would just to stick it to AEW. But I just don't think he's a WWE style performer. Uh, I think there's just so many people in that company vying for top spots. I think WWE would insist that he change his style. And at this point in his career, I don't think Omega would want to do that. And if I was Omega, you know, he's been very successful in his career doing what he wants to do in a style that he has created for himself. That's, you know, individual, unique to him. It's it's his style. Why would he change it at this point in his career? Because WWE says, oh, that's not going to get over here. Um, so I think if he were to go into WWE, I think you, I think it would be difficult for him. I think there would be a lot of barriers, and I think it would be frustrated as well that he would go in there and have to prove himself all over again. Um, I mean, maybe he could make it there. I, I don't know, but to me, it would be a big risk, and I also would pro- be- probably necessitate him going on the road as well for four nights a week. Yeah, I think if he came into WWE, I mean. And I'm not the biggest Kenny Omega fan in the world, so I'm not, you know. Well, I I, I like him enough, but I don't, you know, it, you know, he's he's not my favorite. But I think he could come. I think if he came to WWE, I could see him getting like an AJ Styles type push. Like I could see him getting that initially and seeing how it went. I mean, he would, have, yeah, he would have to completely change how he does things um, to adapt to WWE. But maybe you know, maybe that's a challenge he's he's up for. Maybe it's not. I mean, he's he turns. He turned 39 in October, so he's 40 this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he probably is a big enough... I think he is a big enough name that he could uh, get a schedule where he's not on every single show for WWE. I think he probably could get that. But, um, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's not going to be a sort of safe bet for him. He would really no. need to sort of... And, but some people are looking for the challenge and some people are not, so it'll be... Because, I mean, in AEW, it's like if he... I mean, the only thing really left for him to do if he wanted to is to become a babyface world champion. But even then, I just don't really see it. I mean, I couldn't see Kenny Omega feuding with MJF, for example. No, he's really. not much of a promo guy, is he? And that's another drawback if you want to join WWE and become a top star there. But then, I mean, you, you do think if he was to go to WWE, would he would he try and bring Don Callis with him? I don't think they'd take Don Callis. No? I don't think they'd sign him. I mean, he would definitely need a mouthpiece, I think, if he was yeah. going to be a big, big name. In WWE. But who, who would that be? Yeah, I know. Well, that's, I mean, I, I can't think of who it would be. Callis is, the, I mean, Callis is the only one I can think of because he's with them. Um, I, I don't think they'd sign him. I just don't think they would sign Don Callis. I just can't see it. Um, 
but yeah, it's. I, I think it would be a big risk for him to go there, and I think he. I think it could end. In, I think it could end in tears for Kenny, and uh, all his supporters will be there like, "Oh, WWE's ruined him." I mean, this this is going to be his last. If he signs a if he signs a five year deal with somebody, yeah, this will be his last big contract, really. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I just think he's been he's had a lot of injury problems, and um, he's like, I think the AEW schedule uh, must be a delight for him. That must be just, I mean, to give that up to go to WWE and like overcome all those hurdles and obstacles which were in its way. I mean, maybe 10 years ago or maybe five years ago. Um, but I mean, I, I just I just can't see it. I just can't see him going for it. I think it would. I just think it, I think it's too much of a risk. And I think there's a possibility that WWE, in all seriousness, would would ruin him. I think there's a possibility they might. And I think he's got he could do like occasional appearance for AEW. He could do occasional appearances in Japan. And I think that would be a good gig for him at this point in his career. And he doesn't have to change anything about himself. Yeah. Or maybe you maybe he maybe with AEW he kind of <clears throat> when he when he renews his contract, it's kind of not a hundred percent wrestler. It's maybe more based on backstage duties as well. But maybe that's yeah, something possibly, like yeah, possibly, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's got a choice to make. So we'll you know we'll we'll keep an eye on what that choice ends up being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, listen, that is all the time we've got for today. We're going to be uh, recording the Overrun, which we'll have it on Patreon tomorrow uh, or today if you're listening to this on the main feed. Um, we will do an elimination chamber preview and all that good stuff. Uh, but yeah, so. We will head off for now. Inside the Ropes Magazine is where you can read Finn's music every month. InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. You can pre-order the next issue where Finn gives his Royal Rumble review, including the Pitch Black match. So you can read. <laughs> That's it. On sale one week today. Well, it's on sale this, yeah. this time. Next, well, it'll be on sale yeah, next week. Thursday, the 23rd of February, it will That's be on sale. So we hope you'll check it out. Uh, InsideTheRopesMagazine.com is where you can... Uh, directly support us and grab a copy there um, and Patreon is the best way to support us keeping doing podcasts patreon.com forward slash inside the ropes uh, next week we'll be doing the No Way Out 2003 review so that's coming up next week uh, and Sandra and I will be doing an Elimination Chamber review this weekend uh, and yeah plenty of stuff coming up over there so thank you for all your support as always everybody and we'll talk to you soon
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.